This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Otzen Audibles podcast. I am Matt Premier, Eric Scopel. With me on the show, as always, hump day means it's mailbag day. We open up the mailbag, answer Oregon Duck fans' questions. I mean, I'm assuming you're a Duck fan if you're listening to the show. And if you're sending us questions, I really uh, am going to go off the ledge here and assume that you're a Duck fan. But I want to remind everybody out there today that you can support the podcast in multiple ways. The most impactful is by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com for your first month is $1 and then $9.95 there after that. Or you could go the annual route, $75.18. One-time payment gets you through the entire 300, next 365 days. Or other ways you can impact the show. Hey, give us a review. And if if you subscribe and to DuckTerritory.com and you still want to help, give us a review on iTunes, on Spotify, Google Podcasts, whatever platform you use to listen to the show please drop us a review. That would be very helpful. Uh, helps give us good advice of where we need to improve, what we're doing well, that works that you like. Reviews are always good to see. Carrick, um, this is a mailbag in which it's going to be focused, I think, on a couple of heavy topics. And I think that's kind of where the focus is, kind of going into this 2020 football season against the Washington Huskies this week for the Oregon football team. It's not just focusing on one topic for the first half of the show. It's really focusing on one player, um, and that's Oregon quarterback Tyler Shuck. So let's, this is going to be a very Shuck-centric podcast. We'll have a lot of discussion on that, and then the back end we'll switch gears and talk about a couple different things, football and then basketball-related. So let's start with this one from at Moore underscore 44. Unless I'm mistaken, after the season, Tyler Shuck will still have three years of eligibility left. I feel the most plausible scenario is he starts again next year, then TT, that would be Ty Thompson, replaces him the following year. How do you see the quarterback position playing out going forward, in parentheses, starters, transfers, et cetera, question mark? Well, a lot of hypotheticals here, a lot of like looking into the future to consider here for sure. Um, I said it earlier in the week, and, and I'll say it again, and I, I think the way Tyler Shuck has played, especially the last game, I don't think he has completely shut out the possibility of there being, and this happens at every position every year, And uh, but there will be competition for the starting quarterback job in 2021. Now, I would agree with D. Moore's assertion here that I think Tyler probably will be the starting quarterback in 2021. Um, it would be sort of strange for me, I would say unexpected, if Shuck is the quarterback in 2021, and maybe Matt disagrees, and then in 2022, when, what would be Shuck's senior year, basically, or his third year as a starter, he potentially as a starter, he loses the job. And if that's the case, hey, it's not like we haven't seen this at Oregon, right? Darren Thomas, there's an example of that. Marcus Mariota comes in. He's really, really talented. Mariota needs a year in the program. He takes over the job. Like Maybe that is the exact scenario that plays out again about 10 years apart too by the way we should note if that based upon that timeline that would be like literally 
Mariota comes in, red shirts as a freshman. Darren Thomas has led Oregon to some success, et cetera. Thomas decides to take off before his senior year, go pro. Mariota becomes the quarterback. We all know what happens next. Maybe that's going to be the scenario that takes place. But I also think it's like it is suggesting a lot. And again, I've been honest here. Matt's been honest here. Tyler Shuck has not played great this season at times. He's had his, again, his highs have been really high. His values have been really low. But I think to suggest or project that what's going to happen is Tyler is the starter in 2021 and then he gets beat out by a freshman the next year in 2022, that, that to me seems a little, I don't know, that, 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 that's a very specific scenario to play out. And in fact, like to me, my, my assumption would be almost like if Tyler Shuck is the quarterback in 2021 and he wants to be the quarterback in 2022, he's probably going to be the quarterback in 2022. I think there's a more likely scenario in which Tyler Shuck is the quarterback in 2021 and then Ty Thompson is the quarterback in 2022 because Tyler Shuck goes pro, not because Ty Thompson beats out Tyler Shuck in 2022. I think that's more likely. Um, We're still talking about a quarterback that leads the Pac-12 conference in passing yards, leads the Pac-12 conference in yards per attempt, leads the Pac-12 conference in uh, touchdown passes and from a national level is inside the top 20 for quarterback yards per game. He's also from a quarterback rating perspective in the top 15 in the country in quarterback rating. So uh, Tyler Shuck played really bad against California. Yep. He said that um, we have said that Crystal Ball has noted, Joe Moorhead has noted that it needed to be better offensively as a unit. But we all know that that's code for that, the, you know, yes, the team needs to be better, but they also need to be better player. They need better production at the quarterback spot from what they got on Saturday against Cal. I also acknowledge that Tyler Shuck is, has had some moments in every other game this season where he has been really bad. I mean, he threw two interceptions two costly interceptions against Oregon state. One of which probably, you know, sealed the fate potentially um, for Oregon and that loss. Uh, But I also am willing to acknowledge that he is also still putting up some pretty darn impressive things for a first year starting quarterback in an off season that we've never seen before a little preparation, new offense, and it's not like this is a guy who's got an interception to touchdown ratio of one to one, or that this is a guy in the Pac-12 conference that's a middle of the road, you know, throwing the touchdown passes or middle of the road accuracy, middle of the road quarterback rating. Um, he's all in the top four of all of those categories, if not number one. And I, I think that speaks a to the offense that Oregon is running and the tutelage that Joe Moorhead is providing. But I also think you have to give Tyler Shuck some credit as well. And I think what, where I land is he's already putting up pretty good numbers and we're looking at this and saying he's got room to improve. He's looking at this saying he's got a ton of room to improve and the head coach and the offensive coordinator are saying that there's still a ton to get out of Tyler Shuck. And I think, with a regular off season, a regular spring ball, a receiving court that next year would be available for the entire year when he hasn't played a game this season yet where um, everybody is available. And I look at this and think 
2021, we, we might see a huge jump from Tyler Shuck. And I, I think it's too soon to write off that Ty Thompson is going to show up and automatically um, be this guy that's going to beat out a, a, an entrenched starter that's not only playing well, but playing as one of the better players uh, at that position within the conference. And, and just because Ty Thompson's highly regarded, I mean, look, I think Ty Thompson is really good. I, I think Ty Thompson is going to be a very good quarterback uh, for the Oregon Ducks. I think he's probably the odds-on replacement for Tyler Shuck. But let's just go back and look at these other players that have come through Oregon with high-profile rankings and their success. Kel, uh, De- Dennis Dixon, he really had one good year for Oregon, and that was his senior year. Travis Johnson, he didn't even finish his career. He at Oregon, let alone the FBS level. He played receiver at Montana State. Jake Rodriguez, another four-star Elite 11 guy. He did not make it at Oregon. He, he transferred to San Diego State. Morgan Mahalik, another Elite 11 quarterback. He did not finish his career at Oregon. He transferred to an FCS school in the East Coast area. Uh, Brian Bennett, another four-star quarterback, Elite 11 guy. He finished his career, I think, at like Louisiana Monroe. Um, Braxton Burmeister, four-star quarterback. He's at Virginia Tech on the bench. Uh, So I I look at this and think, just because you are this highly regarded guy doesn't automatically mean success. Now, Ty Thompson is significantly ranked higher than all of those guys I mentioned. Ty is ranked in the top 40 in the country. He's the fourth-best position quarterback uh, in the pro style in this year's recruiting class. A lot of these guys, you know, are in the top 100 or, or top 250, um, you know, in top 10 positional wise. So Ty Thompson is a little bit of an upgrade, but I, I think people need to pump the brakes here a little bit that Ty Thompson is just going to show up and just take away this job from, from Tyler Shuck. I think, I think that's a, doing a discredit to Tyler Shuck and not at, at being willing to acknowledge he is doing some things that are very, very impressive. You know, there's there's an interesting dynamic at play here. Um, when you enter a program and like Oregon that has elevated itself to this point where it's championship robust and it's you can't fall short of expectations. And if you do, you're not good enough. We need to find somebody better. It, you know, it's a different that's a different place than almost every quarterback Oregon has ever had has entered. Right. You know, yeah. I think about when Justin Herbert came in. He entered his first start was against Washington. He played fine in that game. 70 to 21. I was just going to say they lost by seven touchdowns. But by the time he started that season, the expectations for him, for him and that team were so low that the fact that he was like not terrible and was actually like pretty good pretty quickly was like, okay, wow, this is exciting. Tyler Shuck enters a totally different situation here of where the expectation is like, we're going to win every game this season. He has to be the man. He has to be freaking awesome. If he doesn't, he stinks. We need to replace him. And I saw, and I asked Mario Cristobal the question on Monday of like, you know, is this an ongoing job? And it was a pretty quick answer. It was, you know, we assess everything every week, but Tyler's our quarterback. And I tweet that story out. And the response on Twitter is so incredibly, it's not even polarizing. It's almost like the consensus is that Tyler stinks. 
and he needs to be replaced immediately. And we were, and I said earlier, we were the we, we criticized Tyler's play on on Saturday's post game podcast, on Monday's podcast, because it we, we were being honest. He did not play very well in that second half, and frankly, if he'd played a little better, they win. Gonna, they win. Like point blank, if he if he just has one drive where he puts it together, uh, they win that football game. But the expectation right now is that there's no room for shortcomings from the, from the fan base. That's not not internal. Everything. I mean, everything we heard from Coach Cristobal, from Moorhead, from a couple of his teammates, and in a second here when we get to a couple of different questions, I'll read some quotes from teammates that kind of are just endorsing him. But it's like I I, I think there's kind of a disservice here from the Oregon fan base, and I get it because we thought Oregon was going to be a little better this year. We probably thought Tyler Shuck in terms of not having a game where he implodes like he did was probably something that wouldn't happen. But at the same time, it's like he's a first-year starting quarterback on a really talented team facing only Pac-12 competition. You know, like most of these quarterbacks, they start and they get a couple of games where they're against the B, the junior varsity teams and they put up big numbers and you get excited. Right? Like even Marcus Mariota, I know he was – really impressive right away and I don't want to compare those two because Mariota is the best player to ever come out of Oregon but like he even had his games what was it, like Tennessee Tech or something at his debut and he's throwing the ball around the yard and everyone's like this guy's the next big thing and it's like Chuck's had to face Stanford Washington State UCLA Oregon State Cal to start his career now Washington there's no warm-up kind of gimme game on the schedule for him to really like put up some big numbers and kind of build that momentum and the reality is he still has put up those numbers like Matt ran yep. through so, you know, I, I think a lot of this is expectation related and the fan base right now is very fickle. Um, they do, they don't want to lose games. Nobody wants to lose games, but even before Tyler Shuck had really quote unquote blown a game because the Oregon state loss, that's not on Tyler Shuck. That was on the defense. They didn't make plays. And of course, Tyler took accountability and responsibility for the interception he threw in the fourth quarter. That was a bad one. It was a costly mistake and, and that flipped the momentum. But guess what? The next drive, he led them down and they scored a touchdown. He didn't have really another chance. I guess they should say he did have one chance. They could have converted a first down after the, the, the next drive stalled for Oregon State. But, like, it's not like he blew that game, right? And it's like the first moment he, quote-unquote, blows a game. And, again, I, like, I, as much as Tyler Shuck was bad in that game, and, like, there was other reasons they lost. They could have, Other players could have stepped up, too. But, like, it, it's like the first time he makes a mistake, it's like he's, he's got to be out of here. They need to make a, a quarterback change. And that is a really unhealthy, from my perspective, way to handle this kind of thing if you if you would have benched tyler shuck in place of anthony brown like right now like you're basically saying we don't have any trust in tyler shuck and that gets in his head even more now he's kind right. of and so i i think this dynamic you have to be very careful with it and um and i guess we've jumped around a lot here we got more tyler shuck discussion so i'll, I'll ask a, cool. i'll read the second question really quick real but quick like, but go ahead Oh, I was just gonna. I was gonna read the second question. Oh, okay, so real, real, jump real quick here, Tyler Shuck's first five starts in his career at Oregon: one thousand three hundred eighty-nine yards passing, nine point seven yards attempt, eleven touchdowns, four interceptions, one sixty-five quarterback rating, throwing for two seventy-seven a game. You you go through Justin Herbert's first five through five, first five starts as a quarterback, and he threw. 13 touch uh, 15 touchdowns excuse me four interceptions 1362 yards i don't know his completion percentage because i'm not going to do the math that quickly 272 yards per game they are essentially identical and guess what in Tyler and Justin Herbert's first five starts 
He lost four games and won one. And this is a yep. game and in, includes an overtime loss against Cal where he threw six touchdown passes to one interception. He had another game in which against Arizona state, he threw four touchdown passes and completed 73% of his throws. So, I mean, go back and we're, we're having some revisionist history here. Justin Herbert was not this amazing quarterback. That was that you sat and you, you said, Day one, when you watched him, he's going to be a top one, you know, top three quarterback in program history in his first five starts. Well, and the other reality for that, Matt, is is like literally Kyler or Justin wasn't all that appreciated during his time in Oregon. And like it almost is revisionist history to like look at Justin Herbert now and say, man, he was amazing at Oregon, which the stats, by the way, back up because there were a lot of times when he was at Oregon that fans were, were ripping into him, too. I think that's just the reality of being a quarterback at this level. You know, unless you're just perfect every weekend and you make no mistakes and Marcus Mariota is about as close as you get to that. And maybe that's where these expectations come from is like everybody comes in and they're building. That's this so unfair. Guy. It's so unfair. And and, it, and maybe that's really maybe that is what we need to examine more going forward is, is are we setting everybody up to the Marcus Mariota expectation? And that's just not going to happen. But Tyler's been a really good young quarterback. He's been impressive throughout his starts. And. And let's pivot to the second question because I think it kind of ties into this a little bit um, really quickly. But I think we just have to be a little bit more open and understanding that these are young quarterbacks and not everyone is going to be Marcus Mariota. So second question from at Colton underscore B underscore 11. Are blown coverages and long catches, sorry, long catch and runs making shucks passing numbers? Ratings and stats are saying one thing, but the eye test isn't matching. Hashtag that's not audible. Um, The blown coverage part, is a little bit like, could we give some credit for Joe Moorhead in the offense for, for scheming? Well, can we give some credit for maybe Tyler Shuck for using his eyes to, to create some openings as well? Um, to suggest he still has to go through his reads to find the blown coverage. Right. Like, I mean, to suggest that like the only reason Shuck does well is because the defense stinks is like, frankly, kind of unfair to everybody involved. Um, that's a very, to me, a very pessimistic perspective. And, Again, I, I, I do want to be very clear here, and we've said this before, but I feel like it is worth bringing out. Like, we're not saying he was great against Cal. He, was, he played poorly against Cal. You can go and listen to our podcast. We've said that. We're not changing that angle here. But I don't think his stats, which, by the way, are still very impressive, are, like, only impressive because every defense he plays stinks because that's not the case. Um, there, I mean, are players running open routes and he's hitting them? Sure. Are, are we going to somehow detract that from him? Like if, and if we just did the Marcus Mariota thing, like, guess what? Scheme was really awesome in that offense too under Chip Kelly and then and Mark Elfrich. And he had lots of – go back and watch his highlights. He had lots of wide open guys he hit for passes. He had lots of – I mean, that, that offense, in fact, probably featured more underneath passes than screen passes where you just get really explosive guys in, in space and they make plays and run up and down the field than this offense does. And I'm not saying this offense is not quite as – you know, doesn't benefit players from that regard as much. I'm just saying – the reality is, is it's not like every quarterback that has great stats that come through here was fitting every pass into triple coverage and being amazing. In fact, like, and I know some of these passes were pretty dangerous and could have gone the other way, but like, remember the first few games where, where Tyler Shuck seemed like every game, somebody was making an incredible diving catch in traffic for him. Like he's also had those kind of passes that have been completed. And you can say those are because the receivers are awesome, et cetera. 
but you can you also have to acknowledge the fact that the player throwing the ball got the ball into a place that gave the receiver a chance to make the catch and it was intercepted. So is Tyler Shuck infallible and perfect? Absolutely not. Um, are his stats like 100% representative of everything he does? Of course not. But they also probably are missing plays that the receiver missed or good reads he made where a defensive player made great plays. That's just the reality of football is like the stats say one thing, the eye test says something else, according to Colton. And Colton, I, I don't disagree in terms of like, if you, you know, if you just take the Cal second half as an outlier and you just look at the stats, they don't look quite as bad as they really were in terms of watching them because the misses he had were really bad. At the same time, like it's, I think it's like pretty reductive to just be like, well, Tyler Shuck averages almost 10 yards per attempt in the pa- as a passer, but the only reason he has those good numbers is because the defenses stink and he gets lucky and finds wide open players. Like He deserves credit for some of this at least. Not really any complaints from me. I mean, I, I look at and think that there are certainly some instances where he has benefited from poor defense. And I also know that there's been instances uh, against Stanford where he made an insane juke move and ran for a touchdown off of it um, on a scramble. Um, I, I look at uh, a couple other throws that he has made that are just absolute bombs and, and really good throws for him. You know, he's had some touchdown throws to Travis died that are on a rope right on the line, which look like they're easy throws, but they're not They're They can be difficult and he completed them with ease, perfect balls. So uh, I, I think every quarterback is complimented by blown coverages and I would be more concerned if Tyler Shuck was every single game missing wide open touchdowns then you know, getting easy touchdown passes. Like I, I think there's a couple like the DJ Johnson one against California yep. was really bad. Yep. Uh, he had, I think Jalen red um, in, in the Oregon state game who he may not have scored, but he, I think the final drive, he, he may have gone for a touchdown or at least gotten them within field goal range. Yeah. Um, of, of, of that in that game uh, he missed him there but and so he is missing guys but I, I do think there needs to be a little bit of our cooling of jets here on, on just disregarding everything that's good that comes from Tyler Shuck well and the, and the harder thing to do is to say the eye test supersedes bad stats you know what I mean like if someone has say he had four touchdowns and eight interceptions and we would be here saying like well, but the touchdowns you have are great. Like the, like that's not fair. And, and like, no one would be doing that. And what we're doing right now is I think just being honest of like, like are some of his touchdown passes pretty easy? Yeah. But like, I don't think you can, that it's not an indictment of his ability. I did want to read a couple of quotes from teammates that we, um, that from Tuesday's press conference here just really quickly. Cause I think those listening um, maybe just kind of wonder how the team receives him. And I thought these were pretty telling from George Moore, one of the offensive tackles for Oregon. Tyler's head is always in the right spot. 12 is our leader. As everyone knows, we look to him for energy. We look to him for everything. I mean, he's the most positive guy in the room. He lights up a room. If it's a bad day, he always brings the energy to where it's like, okay, we're going to come to work. He's going to give it his all. You know Tyler's always going to give it his all. And then from Hunter Campmeyer, we're behind number 12. We all make mistakes through the course of a game, and he's done a great job of being a leader and accepting those things and moving forward. He's done a great job, and we're all 100% behind him. So, like, I mean, he's he, – and again, Cristobal already said, this is your quarterback. This is Oregon's quarterback. Um, I just think it's notable that, like, 
they don't have to be that definitive in supporting Tyler Shuck, right? Like they could say he's our quarterback. We, you know, blah, 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 blah. But they don't have to say he's been a leader. He's been great. He's, he's, you know, he lights up a room and, and compliment him like that. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like, I think it says something that this is the kind of player he is and person he is and how he's being received behind the scenes. I just thought it was important to kind of include that before we um, turn to our third question here before the break. This is our last Tyler Shuck related question. And I am happy, by the way, that we're getting a lot of Tyler Shuck discussion here because I think it's important. And I think it's important now having a couple of days removed from the game. Um, having watched, the, I've watched the game a second time, um, as we discussed on our Monday show reviewed it I acknowledged he was really bad in that second half but like I still think there's op- there should be optimism this is not like a he needs to be benched right now and everyone is losing their minds because Anthony Brown isn't starting against Washington so third question here before we get to the break from at Drew Goley do you think it's hurting Shuck's maturation as a quarterback given that he didn't get many opportunities to pass the ball when he played the past two years hashtag Otson audibles it's a reasonable point in terms of what I think he entered with like 12 to no, I think it was, I think he was 12 for 15. I don't have the stats pulled up in front of me. That's on me. I had this question in the queue. I should have been prepared with his attempts before, but I think he had like 12 passes for 15 yards coming in three touchdowns, no interceptions, something like that. Um, like would it have helped to get him more opportunities in the past? It's hard to argue against that concept for, I think it's, a, I mean, it's, it, I can't sit here and say like Tyler Shuck, would be worse off or would not have made a difference if he would have had a fill-in game for Justin Herbert last year where Justin got hurt and he played, or if he would have played a little bit more in some of those second halves. And the reality is there weren't that many games. You know, Oregon Oregon won the conference. They lost one game out of 10 against Pac-12 teams. There weren't a ton of second halves where it was just like, hey, he can get in there because Oregon had to battle for those. So, like – Sure, I think it would help, but like also, like I don't know if like that's the past, and I don't know how you change that. Do you have like big thoughts on this one, Matt? In terms of like, if he had thrown fifty-five to sixty passes coming into this season, do you think it would matter that much? Yeah, I do. I yeah. I, I think there were I, I think there were some missed opportunities by Oregon to get them some reps for Tyler Shuck because he's talked about on Tuesday. Uh, about how like he's grown a lot and that he also needs to get better at a few things. And, you know, one of the things that he brought up and I'm paraphrasing here, but he said, sometimes he gets a little trigger happy with uh, reading the, you know, the defense and that, you know, he, he may just lock in on a guy and, and we've seen that in games where he locks in on guys and he said, he needs to get better at reading the defenses and read and working through progressions. Well, the only way to do that is in game situations. And he played a lot in the, the Nevada game. Last season, they won that one 77 to six. I think that was probably the game where he saw the, the second most or the most ex- extensive action in that football game. I thought Oregon missed an opportunity to get him in against Colorado, a Friday night game in which Oregon won that one 45 to three. It was 24 to nothing at half t- or 20, 24 to, to three at half. Uh, Oregon scored three more touchdowns or two more touchdowns, excuse me, in, in the third quarter. Why he didn't play that entire fourth quarter um, when it was thirty-eight to three going into the fourth? I, I think that's when you say, "Okay, we're going to take Herbert out. We're going to put um, Tyler Shuck in with the first team offense. He's going to get the first team offensive line. Everything else is the same." And until so maybe the midway point of that quarter, they didn't do that in that game. You know, I remember Herbert being in there for 
you know, a long period of time in the fourth. Shuck got just two attempts in that fourth quarter um, against California. He played uh, Colorado, excuse me. He played against USC, a game in which he should have played. Um, we also, uh, Oregon also saw a game in which they won 34 to six against Arizona. Um, and, and this was an, a game in which it was 21, six at half 28, six, uh, going into the fourth quarter and Tyler Shuck didn't attempt a single pass. Uh, Tyler Shuck also, I don't believe even played in that game. He, he should have been involved in that game. We should have seen him, uh, in that football game. And then I, I think you look at some games like Montana, um, Stanford, and Oregon State, and games in which we all thought Oregon was just going to have these just pure dominating wins. Where in the fourth quarter there was no reason for a starter to be out there, and they just didn't they didn't do that. They they couldn't do that. And so I, I think there were some missed opportunities uh, to get Shuck into the game last season to kind of get some extra work on, you know, working through his progressions and getting himself adjusted. It's a different offense, no doubt about it. But at the same time, I think there, there is something to be said uh, about, you know, being able to go out and, and, and play and see some success and have that confidence and understanding of what you're doing will, will work in a game like situation. So I don't think it's the reason, um, but I think it certainly would have helped. I also point to the uh, the 2018 Oregon Oregon State game where they went with Burmeister. Yeah, that uh, didn't make sense either. I mean, they they, they had the ability to red. You know, he was he was redshirting, and they had the ability to play him in four games, and I think he played in two. Yeah, no, he could have played that game in the second half and gotten reps. And I think at that point, it was pretty clear Burmeister was not going to be long long for a stay in Eugene. And it was pretty clear that Tyler Shuck wasn't as quick. You know, certainly wasn't looking to transfer. So I that one I found that one buzzling at the time. Um, I think good points, Matt, in terms of like, yeah, there were opportunities, you know, there were games that were close and it would have been tough to get him out there. But like, I think you could have gotten him more reps last year and certainly like, and the other stuff that get, I mean, and I hate to just bring this up over and over, but like they had four spring practices. They had no spring game. The fall was completely, you know, was condensed. I missed us as a fall scrimmage. Um, this is literally, he's played five games as a starting quarterback. It's not a very large sample size to expect him to be perfect as, is a tough ask. So, you know, you know, and again, I think Tyler is going to have to play really well against Washington, have to play really well in the final regular season crossover game, whether that's a conference championship or not. And then really well in the postseason game to like have his job completely on lock to enter spring um, or fall of next year. And every, and Mario Cristobal be saying, no, we have our quarterback. And he may not even say that even if he does do that, just because that's the way competition is bred at Oregon. But I do think he has to perform really well for that to be like kind of the, the discussion growing into the offseason. And maybe it's not even a discussion from Mario, but it's a discussion from folks like us where we're talking all offseason of like, yeah, Tyler Shuck, it's no question. This is his job. And everyone's kind of in agreement. Um, and again, our, our opinions don't matter that much. But like, I think like he needs to perform better. And I think he will. I do. I think I, I, I can see a scenario. One of my five predictions this week was he was going to have a, a bounce back game against Washington. Washington's secondary is really good. They've got great pass rushers to lead the conference in sacks. Heek is going to be challenged in this game, but I think he's going to be up for it. I mean, how do you how do you justify? Let's just we've 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 taken some questions here about you know really going down some hypothetical paths. Yeah. So let me do this. Let's go down that hypo- hypothetical path. Let's let's just assume that 
Tyler Shuck comes out against the Huskies. He throws for three touchdowns, one interception, 275 yards, completes over 62% of his passes, puts up good numbers. Nothing that's like earth-shattering, but plays well, okay? They win that game, and then they go and they play whoever in the Pac-12 South Championship game, and let's just assume he, he goes for 200 yards passing and a touchdown, one interception, and they win a close game in that one. And he finishes the year as the, the league's top passer in, in yardage, the leader in quarterback rating, the leader in touchdown passes uh, on the season. He wins the Pac-12 North. He wins the Pac-12 championship game, thus winning the Pac-12 for Oregon. How do you replace the starting quarterback of a Pac-12 championship team who statistically was the leader in the clubhouse for a majority of the statistics in the league for a true freshman. How do you do that? Like Ty Thompson better be Marcus Mariota. Cause if he's not, you've basically nullified yourself from a recruiting standpoint, because all of a sudden other schools are going to go, look, if you have the slightest sign of a bad year or a bad game and you're a talented player, there's no loyalty there. You're gone. You're bounced. Why go play there? Why play under that idea that, you have to look over your shoulder after every single bad play. Uh, you don't. <laughs> Good points, man. I mean, and, and you know, you know, I'm agreeing with you on that. You're preaching to the choir, and in terms of like, I, I, I think fans again, they they set really unfair expectations, and the Ty Thompson thing is great for the program to bring in a recruit of this caliber. Obviously, is the highest rated quarterback recruit I think Oregon's ever signed. I'm pretty sure that, um, or I should say, signed because signing day. Maybe we can point to the fact that signing day is coming up and that'll be something we talk about after the break, but highest rated quarterback commitment, his signature will come in here in about a week, a week's time. Um, but like, it's great for the program to land a player like that, but it also, again, it sets up these kind of unreasonable expectations, both on Ty and then also for Tyler of like, Tyler has to be perfect or else he's going to lose the job. And I just don't think that's true. Um, now I think if Tyler comes out and it's just dreadful and I, I agree, I mean, I agree, Matt, like if, if door number one is what you just listed and he, he's maybe let's say he's the second team all conference quarterback and Oregon wins the conference. There's just, just no argument really for not starting him going forward. Now let's say door number two is he just, he, he does what he did against Cal for, for like the next two games, two games. And it's just really ugly. They lose both games. They don't go to a bowl. You know, they lose to Washington and then they lose to probably like what UCLA would probably be the team that might play there. Maybe, maybe Colorado, if it's assuming USC wins the South um, and he, he kind of just implodes, then you completely open the door up to that. And maybe that is what fans are expecting. They have no confidence in his ability and they're projecting that like Tyler Shuck is just going to be what he was in the second half every game. Now that's pretty reductive too, because he's right. played 10 halves of football and we're pointing to his worst half and saying that's what he is. Was he not? Just remember in the first qu- first half of that game, I think he was seven for eleven for a touchdown, like 180 yards. Like that was what he was in the first half of that game. Second half, he was really bad. And I'm not arguing. No one's arguing the opposite. But like to sit here and say like he's going to be what he was in one half of football and not what we'd seen from him the other nine. I think that's just really unfair. So again, we're going to learn in the next couple of weeks here. 
what's going to, what's going to happen. What's most likely, you know, if, if whether it's door one, door two, something in between, probably going to be something in between. Maybe it'll be door one. I don't know. I, I obviously our, pref- our preference here covering this team is it's door number one. Cause that means they go to a big bowl game and it's a successful season and that's more fun to cover. But at the same time, like it's going to be, you know, we're going to learn. And I think there's still like the jury is kind of still out on what this season is for Tyler Shuck. He has an opportunity, I think to win, I, I hate we have to say this win back the fan base, but but there's a lot of fans who turned on him already, and he has the opportunity just to kind of quote unquote in their minds prove him you know prove themselves right that he wasn't the right fit and that Ty Thompson is the next guy. So we're gonna see, and I think it starts this weekend with Saturday. It's a really big, really big game for him, biggest game of his career, no doubt about it. He comes out and he lights up this Washington defense. People are gonna have, be singing a completely different tune. If he comes out and he struggles and he's you know uh, let's say he goes. You relisted the great option. Let's say he is uh, 16 for 38 with 160 passing yards and one touchdown and three picks, and they lose by 24. It's going to be a totally different thing. So, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens. I don't expect he's going to be that bad. I really don't. I think we're going to see improved play. And some of the quotes he gave, again, you go to the site. We've got them on the site. We've got all the video posted from, from Tuesday's press conference. This guy certainly says all the right things. Now it's his opportunity to go out and prove it on the field. All right, we're going to take a quick break from the Tyler Shuck discussion as well as from the podcast. And we come back, we'll answer the next three questions here on the Austin Audible's Mailbag Edition. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, welcome back to the Ots and Audibles podcast. I'm at Prem Eric Scopel on the show. As always, uh, three questions in, all centered on the quarterback position at Oregon. Uh, now we're going to deviate away from that and talk football and also uh, change sports as well. From at America, and there's a bunch of numbers here. Maybe this is a bot. I don't know. Very strange thing to ask is a bot, but America 00171946. Update on recruiting. Any more potential flips? Will Perkins, and that would be Jadarius Perkins, who decommitted last week, end up with the Ducks, or is he definitely gone after decommitting? Any names to watch before signing day? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. We should note, Matt, signing day is, what, a week from this, a week from today? <laughs> like, it's yeah. like all the stuff going on. Um, it gets lost in the shuffle here, almost of like, and part of it is, and why this question is a valid question, is Oregon wrapped up its recruiting class so quickly and got almost to the, you know, to the full capacity. They were full at the end, like before the season even started, that there hasn't been a ton to really report on. But Oregon has lost two commitments in the last 
what, 10 days or so. Yep. Um, first it was Keon Moore Hudson. Then it was Jadarius Perkins. Anybody else that we should be worried Oregon might lose. And then I guess on the flip side, anyone else we think they might add in the early signing period. Well, I don't think you, you can't technically rule out Perkins coming back into the fold. Um, Florida state did just offer him a scholarship. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he goes either to Florida state, Florida, or stays to one of the in-state Mississippi schools, Mississippi State or Ole Miss. Um, Oregon technically is still in there. They're communicating. They're trying to get him to come in. Um, I, I don't think it happens. Um, other players who could potentially, excuse me, other players who could potentially flip away from Oregon. Um, I always get leery of guys that are from a long ways from home and have not visited Oregon. And in this instance. There's a couple guys who are a long ways from home or haven't been able to visit from or- you know, Oregon yet or both. And you always just get a little worried about those. Uh, like Jabril McNeil from North Carolina, Terrell Tillman from Texas, Christian Burkhalter from uh, Spanish Fort, Alabama. Those are three guys. While I'm not necessarily hearing that they don't come to Oregon, wouldn't surprise me in the slightest if – one of those guys signs with the school closer to home. Another name, Isaiah Bravard from Mississippi. Uh, he has not been on campus out of Oregon, four-star receiver. Um, what does he do? The, the, I, again, not hearing he's going to flip, but hasn't been on campus, hasn't been uh, – he's committed to Oregon. He's a long ways from home. Uh, if he comes to Oregon, I think that's – the next week or so, if you're Oregon, you're probably sweating a little bit because every local school is probably hammering a guy like him. Why right. are you going all the way out there? You've never been there before. What, do you even know what you're going to? Um, come play closer to home. Uh, family you know, and friends are probably giving him you know, gripe about going so far away. Some of them are probably for going so far away, but I think that's the scenarios you have to look at. But outside of that group, I don't really think anyone else is going to flip. Um, one name to watch is Brian Caldwell, uh, running back. Don't know if he's going to sign in December or if he will decide in, in February. There's been talk of both. Um, Oregon offered him a scholarship, a four-star running back out of Southern California. They're probably the favorite right now to land him. Um, I think it makes a lot of sense because seven McGee, a four-star running back is kind of like, uh, a D'Anthony Thomas, Byron Marshall type where he's, a little bit of running back, a little bit of slot receiver, um, probably projects better as that slot guy. And quite honestly, reminds me a little bit, you know, of a be- of coming out of high school, at least a better version of Travis Dye um, mm-hmm. would, would be a good replacement there or Jalen Red type, you know, role player, not role player, but, you know, that, that, that type of a role. Um, and possibly you also have to wonder about Seven McGee's academics. Like, is he going to get into school? You know, fair or not, he's been at a bunch of schools. And uh, when you transfer multiple times in your high school career, it gets harder and harder to qualify. And I don't know what he's doing right now. I, and I'm not trying to speculate, but the reality is he's been at like four schools um, during his high school career. In like and, two different sides of the country too. Like Yes. All over so the place. That's, that's always a concern. And that's all I'm trying to say. I'm not trying to say he's a bad student. He could be an amazing student has, and it just has a bunch of changes, but every change that you have creates a little bit more of extra work. And so has he been able to get through all of that? I don't know, but that's something you have to at least acknowledge that's out there. 
Um, in terms of other guys adding, I don't think Oregon's going to add anybody else in the early signing period besides Caldwell. Um, it would surprise me. Maybe you know JTT uh, signs with Oregon and doesn't announce until January. That's probably more than likely what's going to happen. Someone probably signs, doesn't get announced, and then makes his verbal commitment on TV or or at a, an All American game. You know, before the the second signing period. And again, a lot to follow here. We'll have full coverage of signing day, which is a week from this podcast. <laughs> And, uh, and, and all the ins and outs of that, Oregon going to sign regardless of if, who they add or lose. This is the greatest class in program history. It's going to be a top 10 class, top five likely now. Sure, there's going to be some movement and reshuffling going forward, but a lot to be excited about there. Fifth question from at Duck Scribe. It might be the shortest question in the history of the podcast, and it is, where is Patrick Herbert? Question mark. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure we've never had a mailbag question with fewer than four words. So, um, and I added it just to say, like, the tight end. I thought we could just have a small kind of discussion on the tight end position. Let's first, like, kind of answer this question and say, Patrick is unavailable, has been unavailable the whole season, hasn't traveled with the team to any of the road games, hasn't dressed for any of the home games. Um, this is clearly a injury most likely, right, um, that indicates he's not close to playing. And I don't expect he plays the rest of the season, frankly, because um, we just haven't seen him hardly at all. When Mario Cristobal has talked about the tight ends that are still injured, that being Cam McCormick and Spencer Webb, he's mentioned them by name, talked about their status and how they're getting closer. I haven't heard anything really about Patrick Herbert in, gosh, three weeks maybe? Maybe since like a long time. Yeah, so like I, I think the assumption here is he's with the team but he's not going to be somebody that you can count on for any contributions this season. And you hope, you hope whatever this is that's holding him out now is something he can get resolved by the time they open up in spring and he can position himself to be a potential contributor in 2021 when, in theory, Hunter Campmore leaves. We should also note Tuesday we spoke with Campmore. We asked him if he would use a, for him to be a sixth year and be on the 2021 team pretty non-committal there it's possible he's back and if he's back that makes it a little that's just fewer snaps and minutes because he would he would return and my expectation would be he'd be the top tight end again in 2021 if he does come back um but i look at patrick herbert and think hey you never give up on a kid it's early on in his crew we haven't seen him play a lot but he's not going to play in 2020 and you just hope whatever it is that's holding him out right now is something he can work through and come back in 2021 and hopefully live up to what i think are some pretty high expectations for him at least from a talent perspective when he was at Sheldon high school. Anything to add there, Matt? No, I think you summed it up perfectly. All right. <laughs> I took the silence as like, all right, let's move on to six. All right. The sixth question here. And this will be more Matt talking than me, just because this is a men's basketball question. His specialty from at Edom Jeffrey. Hey guys, one question. And thanks by the way, for limiting it to one and not 12. To my recollection, the one number in men's basketball that has been retired is number 30 which was worn by the great Ronnie Lee. Now LJ Figueroa is wearing 30. Did I just misremember? Hashtag Ots and Audibles. Before I hand it to Matt, I will just affirm Ron Lee did wear number 30, but it's not the only number that's yeah. There's like 10 others. So go ahead. We, we, we talked about this uh, Tuesday morning, you, me, and our colleague Kevin Wade in our, our private Slack channel. And so it's funny that someone else brought it up. Um, Oregon actually has two players this year 
wearing uniform numbers that technically have been retired. LJ Figueroa is wearing Ronnie Lee's number 30. Um, and Gabe Reichel, a true freshman walk-on from Wilsonville, younger brother of uh, the Reichel at Oregon State, the senior, Zach. 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 Um, Gabe is actually wearing Terrell Brandon's retired number 10 number, which we should note, Johnny Lloyd also wore number 10 earlier. So I think there is a precedent at Oregon that it's incredibly unclear of what retired numbers mean from a basketball standpoint. We do know um, Ruthie Hebert was wearing a retired number during her time. Best Smith's number. uh, At Oregon. So uh, that, and that was a, a total mistake. So we do know it's happened in the past and we don't really have clear indications of retired numbers. I mean, there's no numbers or jerseys hanging from the rafters at Matthew Knight arena. There's actually nothing really hanging from the rafters at Matthew Knight arena. They claim it's a smoke alarm issue. That needs to change by the way. That that needs to change. It's weird. They, they claim it's a smoke alarm issue, but there are no, there are no, nothing hanging from the rafters. So can't really tell in person there, but they do actually have two guys wearing retired numbers and, I think it's better to just say honored, you know, they've retired this player's history, like acknowledging that this guy is special above the rest um, than anybody else. And the number is still available, but at the same time, they're honoring what that player did at the school during his three, four years, whatever it may be. But it is a weird deal. I look at it and go like, and I, we can have this discussion in greater detail at a later date, but like, I don't know if you need to retire numbers, but like hanging something would be great. Honoring those players in some way would be great. I think you don't basketball. There's only so many popular numbers. And if you just cut out like a third of the popular numbers, you kind of limit the numbers you can actually wear. You know what I mean? Like, and, and, and I think, I just think that they do need to find ways to be more clear in terms of a, like, what does it mean that the jersey is quote unquote retired? Because clearly what the assumption is based upon the verbiage, you're not wearing those numbers, but there's been no follow through, no restrictions on those jerseys before. I can't think of the top of my head of the last player that won 30. Maybe this is the first, maybe Figueroa is the first since Ron Lee. But my guess is if you were to look through the history of Oregon's rosters in the 40, 50 years since Lee was playing for Oregon in the 70s, that there's probably one to two, maybe more, that also wore that number. And I could be wrong on that. But I just think, like, let's honor these numbers but not retire them. But I think we, we have to find ways, especially – and I was, we were talking about this, and we don't have to go too far down this tangent, Matt, because we can probably save this for further podcasting. But, like, I think there does need to be ways of honoring these players other than just retiring the numbers because clearly that's not a way that they've really – done a very good job of following through with. And in the 2010s in particular, there are a ton of players that should be commemorated in football, in basketball, in track, in softball, et cetera, et cetera. And I think you got to find ways to get more creative in doing that. And again, we don't have to go too far down the rabbit hole on this one and make this a four-hour podcast. You know, um, there's other things that both of us have to get done from a work perspective today. But like, I look at it and think it's kind of a bummer that a player like Ron Lee, who is, along with Peyton Pritchard, Luke Jackson, Greg Ballard, probably Terrell Brandon, like the best in discussion is like he's on the Mount Rushmore of men's basketball players, 
but that his number would be reused and it wouldn't be something that would be, you know what I mean? Like this, this is happening. Yeah. Like it just seems kind of, that seems like a failure from the university's perspective. Yeah. It's a weird, weird dynamic. Um, I think I have bigger issue with the fact that there's no banners for like both the men and the women that made the final four. Um, <laughs> agreed. Agreed. I, I think those need to be up. I think, you know, you need banners up for Pac-12 championships. You don't need banners for sweet 16s and uh, second round or NCAA tournament appearances and whatnot. But because as crazy as it sounds, Eric, like it for both programs, like reaching the sweet 16 is kind of now the standard for, for both teams. Like I, I, I think if they don't reach the sweet 16, you look at it as if it's almost like they maybe had a good year, but there was, there was more meat on the bone that you should have been able to get off that you didn't. Um, and then at that point, every other year, you know, every other accomplishment, elite eight final four championship game championship. You know, I, I think those are all situations where you, for the standard of both programs, where they walk off and you feel like, wow, they lost, but hell of a run. And this was an awesome season and the sting will hurt right now, but in the near future, you know, it'll go away and everyone will be just fired up about the year that they had. Um, and I think everyone talks about the 2017 final four team for the men of, yeah, they lost to North Carolina in a heartbreaking fashion in the way that it did, but the overwhelming joy of that entire year and how it played out is the big thing that sticks with me for that year, not the North Carolina loss. And then I think it would probably argue the same thing for the women, uh, you know, two years later for how they played against Baylor. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. And that, and that's kind of what I'm saying. Like I, and on the football side, like Marcus Smart is the best player in program history from a football perspective. His Jersey's not commemorated. I know they've done a, you go to the HTC and they, it's not like they've forgotten. And there's that. a whole building named after him. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, so he's not like a perfect example, but like, there are these, I, I think I, I just love to see something more, I guess, clear. Public? Yeah, something something to recognize. You know, I know they have the, the school hall of fame, et cetera, but like there have been a lot of fantastic athletes to come through the university since 2010. And, and obviously you can expand that way further back, but since 2010 in particular, you could probably argue you've had the best football player. You've had the best women's basketball player. Those are non, you can't, those are non-negotiable the best track athlete in Ashton Eaton. And if it's not him, Edward Cheserick's right up there with like a Steve Prefontaine, um, you know, men's basketball, Peyton Pritchard certainly belongs in the discussion. He played in the 2010s. Like Dylan Brooks is, is like a top five player, probably in Oregon program history in terms of his impacts. I just think there's a lot of players that could be recognized and, and it would, it, there needs to be, we need to find better ways to, to do this um, and just, yeah, make it more public, make it more clear. I don't know if, the, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to, spend the whole time trying to figure out what that looks like right now because there's other things to, to talk about. But like, I, I just look at this and think it's kind of a failure right now um, from the university's perspective to just, there's to be lacking a little bit of kind of like, and, and I think this question brought it up in my mind of like, yeah, like Ron Lee is arguably the best basketball player in program history. It's ridiculous that his jersey is quote unquote retired and yet we get to watch LJ Figueroa, who's a really good men's player this year, wearing that same uniform number. That's just weird. Yeah, I definitely think we will save this discussion for some day in the spring, some day in the summer when there are no sports, live sporting events to prepare for, to cover, to analyze and break down because this is a podcast discussion that we could go, I think, hours or multiple shows on and multiple yeah. different tangents and um, it's worth discussing. And so we're going to save – that's a good question that was submitted – um, we are going to save this for a more in-depth 
and te- you know, there's a bunch of technicals that come with this. And so we're, we'll, we'll dive into that in the off season, uh, perfect off season type podcast. So thank you for giving us, giving us that idea. And for everyone else, thank you for submitting your questions. Uh, we will certainly do this again next week. Like we do always do. We've got stuff set up for later on in the week where we will be breaking down Oregon versus Washington from a football side of things. We'll have the game fully covered. Eric and I will be in Austin stadium for the final potential home game of the season. Uh, We have full coverage leading up to that game. We'll also have coverage of the men and the women's basketball games that they play this week. Oregon goes to Corvallis Sunday, I believe afternoon for a game against the Oregon state Beavers, huge, not a huge in conference in state rivalry game from the women's side. And then hours after the men or hours after the, the football game is over Saturday evening, uh, the Oregon men will be taking on the Washington Huskies up in Seattle for their first conference game uh, of the season. And then we should also note that later tonight, uh, this podcast comes out on the, the 9th, Wednesday. Uh, later tonight, the men also play Florida A&M. Um, Ray McCollum, he used to coach at Oregon, was an, an office, was an assistant coach for the Ducks under Dan Altman. And uh, he will be bringing his team to Matthew Knight Arena for a game there. So we'll have full coverage of basketball, football, recruiting, everything this week. Thank you for listening to the podcast, and we will certainly talk to you very soon. Talk to you later, folks. The wait is over. The Shy returns with new episodes on Paramount+. Plus. What brings you to the show? Opportunity. Everybody get down! A new rain is coming to the South Side. Never should have sent a boy to do a woman's job. The Shy. New episodes now streaming. Visit ParamountPlus.com slash The Shy to get a 50% discount off the Paramount Plus with the Showtime annual plan. Offer ends July 14th. The subscription auto renews. Restrictions apply.